0: Lance, come talk to us about our missionaries today.
1: Good morning, Oakwood. Uh, I'm here to talk today on behalf of the missions team um, about our missionaries, the Coles, currently serving in Japan. They're in the upper left, Um, Tim and Katie Cole. Tim works with Family Form Japan, um, using family issues to reach out to the families of Japan. And Katie currently works with an international school there, uh, helping to counsel and lead a Bible study with the students. Uh, They've been serving in Japan for over 40 years uh, on a variety of missionaries, or a variety of mission ministries, uh, from camp ministries to church planning, family ministries, book writing, um, teaching students. Uh, as well as mentoring long-term and short-term missionaries, um, as well as public speaking. They've done quite a lot over the years, um, and it's uh, been a pleasure to kind of see their journey over the decades as well. To give some context as far as why Japan as a mission field, uh, according to Team's website, which is their sending organization, less than half a percent of the uh, population of Japan um, is Christian or claims to be Christian. Um, So as a nation, as a people, it's very spiritually dark. Um, Religion, like many first world nations, religion doesn't play much of a role in the everyday lives of the population. Um, Even Shintoism and Buddhism are the main religions, but for the average person, they might go to a temple on a holiday, but in terms of their daily lives, it doesn't play much role. Um, Kind of like Christianity here in the U.S., the majority of the population might claim to be Christian, but might only show up on church at Easter or Christmas. Uh, sexual promiscuity is rampant. And in the last decade, they've had an ever-growing um, transgender, homosexual, gender identity uh, issue in their culture that's kind of growing pretty rapidly, especially in the last couple of years. And then some unique issues that the people of Japan are facing. Uh, they have a socially withdrawn uh, epidemic or syndrome, they're calling it, An estimated over 700,000 young people in Japan from the ages of 20 to 40 never leave their room or never leave their apartment to go out in society. They live completely isolated. And about every 15 minutes in Japan, there's a suicide. And as far as... um, If you watch anime or manga or Japanese comics, um, one thing a missionary has to contend with is that in Japan, um, it's a common stereotype that the church has always portrayed as a villain. So if you're going there to minister to them, especially to the younger crowd, that is the stigma you're always going to have to go through. Um, and then one last issue that I currently learned more about is that Japan has the highest senior citizen po- uh, percentage of population on the planet. They're currently sitting about 30% of their citizens are over the age of 60 or 65, and that percentage is only going to Increase rather rapidly in the next over the next generation or so, um, so it's a becoming a very big social problem for them. So as, that's Japan. But as for the coals, um, what have they been recently been up to, and how are they helping with this situation in their own way? Uh, you can see in the top middle the circle outside. Um, that's he gave a couple Easter services at a church in Miyato recently. Uh, One thing, when I'm reading through their latest correspondence, it reminded me a lot of the New Testament um, and Paul's journeys, and that the last season of their life, they've spent traveling back to areas they've lived in, areas they've worked with churches before, trying to encourage the believers there and plant new seeds in those communities. Um, So they had a lot of anecdotes with just daily encounters with people in those areas as they traveled from churches or regions they were familiar with. Uh, Tim recently taught at a youth conference, and in the center two pictures, you can see some of, those are two of the meetings they've had with international students at the school. Um, They were excited because during the graduation in May at the school, they worked with uh, one of the popular nurses at the school who happened to be a Christian and arranged for Bibles to be offered to all the graduating students, and at least 50 of the students did accept the Bibles, so they were encouraged um, by that percentage. In the far or bottom left, right, <laughs> in the bottom right, I wanted to read to you an anecdote from one of their letters about one of the encounters um, they had in particular. And this is with the Miyajima family. And Miss Miyajima, you can see, them. is in the blue. But they write, We stopped to visit with our f- farmer friends, the Miyajimas, after church today. We had a long chat with Miss Miyajia, who is 79 years old. Last time we were there, we learned that we, they've had a Christian Chinese woman helping them with farm work. They both speak highly of her and how she prays for them and goes to church regularly. Um, today, Ms. Miyajima told us that someone who's been buying their apples, rice, and other fruits and vegetables regularly writes them thank you notes that include Bible verses and written prayers for them. When she calls the Miyajimas on the phone, she asks to pray for them at the end of each conversation. We're amazed that God has placed these Christians in the path of these elderly dear friends who've attended church events, met with many of our Christian friends, friends, and listened to us pray and talk about God. After 34 years of friendship, we're still praying that they will come to know the Creator God in a personal way. Um, So despite 34 years of ministry, they still haven't come to Saving Faith, but I wanted to share that little anecdote with you today, because maybe like me, you might have someone in your life who you've been praying for and ministering more for years or decades who still haven't come to Saving Faith. Um, Don't give up on them, because you never know who else God is going to place in their life to help reach them. And as they write, God keeps our days full of unplanned visits and opportunities. We're thankful for each conversation we have, planting more seeds, and being available for spiritual input. Uh, The last... And growing part of their ministry that they've been active with is mentoring the next generation of missionaries. Um, they're grateful to have seen a growing number of young people looking into becoming minister- or missionaries, especially in Japan. So they've been spending more time answering young couples' questions or young missionaries to these questions about what it's like in the field and what it's like to work in Japan. If you'd like to learn more about what it's like in terms of the mission field in Japan or what they're doing, um, you can scan the QR code or go to team.org. Um, that's their sending organization. Uh, also, if you like to give to them personally to support their ministries, you can go to team.org, give, kingdom worker, and search for their names. Um, and then on the right, if you go to their site, you'll see this. Uh, it's the their ministry, the core beliefs for what they do, as well as with teams. And just one thing that I wanted to point it out in showing it is that because Japan has so little churches, um, like here, if we... if like I know in Terry, when he when he was teaching how to minister to people, you would if they accepted faith, you would help plug them into a church, help plug them into the word. In Japan, that's not necessarily the case because churches are so few and far in between. They really focus on disciples who make disciples, so that when someone comes to faith, they're able to stand on their own faith without necessarily a home church to go to. Um, so it's interesting to read that about how they approach building the church in a community or in a people that don't have churches to plug into uh, so thank you for your time um, and please uh, continue to remember the people of japan in your prayers as well as the Coles.
0: thank you lance thank you for that update and there's i don't know if did you mention the president was assassinated this weekend right so there, their whole country is in turmoil right now too so let's pray for the Coles and their ministry in that region of the world Father, we come to you now and we, uh, as a church at Oakwood, we support these missionaries, but God, we We pray pray to get get to to know them better so we can literally partner with them, not just in words, not just a check that goes out every month, but God, that we would uh, be praying for them and and know what they're doing and and how we can be effective partners with them. Uh, Father, I pray for that country as they're going through some uncertainty now, and uh, I pray that uh, you would help the missionaries there be effective in sharing your love uh, during this and we pray a blessing on the coal specifically in Jesus name amen. amen as i said earlier we're in the end of a series today is the last message in this series uh, the elephant in the room, but I think it's just the end of part one. Uh, you've turned in some good suggestions, emailed me some good thoughts. Uh, there's, there's a lot of other good topics. So we, we definitely will talk and consider, uh, elephant in the room part two, uh, sometime in the future. Uh, it won't be this year. Obviously, I've got all the messages planned through December, December but, but perhaps next year we'll hit it again. Maybe next summer we have the elephants already, right? By the way, have you noticed, I've heard this from other sources, that people that are obviously bored of my preaching, they've noticed the silhouette of the angel. Who knew? Who knew that the elephant would cast an angel on the wall, right? Uh, I looked at it and said I thought it looked like a palm tree, but that's just my take, right? Some people see angels, I see Hawaii. <laughs> Either way, it just shows that no, one, no one's listening to me. All right, so let's uh, pray this morning, and as I... Ask you to pray that prayer. I often do. I will say, I want you to stay with me this morning. This morning, I'm talking about two very tough topics in transgenderism and homosexuality. And this world really has done a good job of promoting their take on these two topics. It is all in your face everywhere you look. And Without you knowing it or not, you might have already got some presuppositions about these topics, some things you've thought uh, you've heard are true, uh, and so I want you to stay. I don't want you to get mad and leave. I, I pray you'd be patient because I've told you from the beginning, each of these topics I'm preaching, truth, what does God have to say about it, and then grace, how do we apply the salve of grace on this topic? And this morning specifically, I had a thought this week. Finally, the last message, I guess what I've been trying to say to you this whole time, and it's come out in my emotions about these topics, is that we as Christians, the church, not Oakwood specific, the church in general, we're very good at having opinions on topics. We have statements about topics. And what I'm concerned about in the meantime, over the last two decades, while we've been very strong on truth, on topics, we've missed the boat when it comes to people. People. When I'm talking about truth and grace, truth never changes, but it must be applied to real people. If you're sitting in here today, I really think in our culture in America today that there is nobody in this room that is not touched fairly directly with somebody that struggles with gender identity or considers themselves a homosexual. It might be in your family. It might be a brother or sister or a child or a grandchild. Um, I want you to know today that I'm going to preach truth, but I also want to touch people. People, real people. So that's what we're going to pray toward today. I pray that you'd be open to that. Would you pray with me? Would you pray this prayer? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified and may Satan be horrified. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The elephant in the room, just a recap, we talked about church and politics, Christians are to be identified with God's kingdom. Yes, you as an individual Christian ought to be involved in voting and paying your taxes and all the things that make you a good citizen, but don't let your identity be with a party or with anything have to do with this world. Your identity should be in Christ, and we should live in this world as aliens and strangers, but yet be good citizens here. Abortion. We talked about the imago Dei, which is the image of God, which means pro-abundant, life, not just pro-life, but pro-abundant life. We pray for babies, yes, that are innocent in the womb, but the mother who's also having that child, we care about her. And we also care about uh, anybody that is mankind. Uh, Mankind is not animal kind, and, and we are made in the image of God, makes us different than the rest of creation. So we care about the homeless, and the sick, and the hurting and the homeless, and the the immigrant, and the refugee, right? It's it's a whole life policy, not just a baby. We're pro-abundant life, which means we ought to be gospel urgent. Gospel urgent. Share the gospel with people. And then we had to backtrack and go to worldview. Truth is defined by God, not man. This world we live in thinks that they are the definers of what truth is. And therefore, you see the chaos because not everybody agrees. And so all you have is arguments then. Here's what I think is true. My truth is this. If it's based on opinion or feelings, it's chaos because Because we we all don't don't think alike. alike. We all don't feel alike. (laughs) But we have something different. God's word gives us truth, amen? And as believers, we believe that it is not man that decides truth. It is God who, who declares, declares truth. And so that is our worldview. God sets the standards. Sexuality, we did a last week's uh, talk was about God's design. I, I tried to go through what is God's plan for human sexuality? The, the positive side of here's what God made us for, and here's how we're, we're designed. And that leads us to today's message where we talk about, oh, I, I've got to follow-up last week's first. I'll tell you what we're talking about today. But I didn't do this last week. I had the slide in there, forgot to go there. Uh, parents in the room, be talking to your kids about their sexuality. Please, be talking to them very young. Uh, Age-appropriate, of course. Uh, when, by the time they're going to school, by the time they're heading to preschool or kindergarten, you should be talking to them about their sexuality in appropriate ways. Uh, because let me tell you, the world is already talking to them about their sexuality and you're too late. Parents, don't be too late. And so some resources I want to give you, uh, the seven, I better look up here, uh, seven biblical lessons to introduce your child to biblical sexuality by Luke Gilkerson. It's a good book. Parents, uh, if you order that on Amazon today, make sure you get it and open it and look through it. Don't open it for the first time when you're in front of your kids, because I will say there are pictures in it. Okay, so uh, be prepared ahead of time. Uh, but that's a good resource if you have children. And then I also have printed here today uh, a copy of seven tips for talking about sexuality with your children. Anybody who wants that can have this copy, and if more are needed, I can print more today before you leave. But please uh, take those resources and use them. So what are we talking about today? Last week was God's plan. This week was man's plan. What has happened to... Basic sexuality. Well, man's view of sexuality is broken and twisted. You've got God's standard, which is truth. And if you deny that there's a God and, and man gets to decide what is truth, it's based on opinion, popular opinion and feelings. Well, those change. By the way, you're always on shifting sand when you're dealing with feelings and emotions and opinions. And so man has lived in a world of twisted and broken human sexuality. One of the things I did not address last week, and I don't have time to address, uh, is simply talk about what about singles? If you are single, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and, and I talked about God's plan as one man, one female in a marriage. Uh, but those of you who are single and aren't married, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. I believe God calls certain people to uh, singleness, uh, abstinence. You still got to fall in God's plan. You can't say, yeah, but... Uh, I don't have a mate, and so therefore his rules don't apply. No, its standards always apply. Its sex is for marriage only. And so those of you who are single, there's still, there's nothing wrong with you. Can I just apologize to all of our singles? The church has been horrible for decades with our singles. We just aren't good at it. As your pastor, let me just say, I apologize. I, I, I'm just, I, I know that we're weak when it comes to how we program. It's always about um, small groups and families and singles are like, where do I fit? If you're a single today and you feel that way, just know your pastor is humbled and mortified by the fact that we're not good at that and we love you and we need to do better. I would ask you if you're single to help your church be better because you're not outcast, you're not different, you're not weird, you're perfectly fine the way you are and you belong here. Amen? the family at Oakwood loves you. So I had to say that today. But we go into this view of man's twistedness. The extreme view on sexuality, man's view on twisted and broken sexuality, is that sex is everything. Stimulation and gratification of our sexual appetite is the focus and primary goal. Kind of sounds animalistic, doesn't it? We have desires, right? And I've dealt with this my whole life. As a youth pastor for 25 years, uh, I I was on the PA226 committee, which is the sex ed committee in our local uh, public high school. For years, I sat on that committee. Uh, I'm thankful that they made a rule in Michigan that they had to have at least one minister one ordained pastor serve on those committees by the way uh, that is still true and so uh, in your communities there are pastors that sit on these committees if a school teaches about sex ed a public school they must have and if your community doesn't call them on it they must have an ordained minister on that and I sat right next to the Planned Parenthood I sat right next to the school nurse which all came from a very man view of sex and here I was Uh, The lone voice standing strong and telling them that your kids are not animals. Uh, They were just obsessed with the fact that kids are going to have sex and they can't control themselves. And I'm like, they're not animals. We could teach self-control. We should teach self-control. And so we went back and forth on that. But that is the world's view. Satisfy and gratify. Everyone determines their own identity based on feelings and desires. Can I tell you that statement alone? should scare you and shake you. That people determine their own identity on feelings and desires. Again, it goes back to who's at the center of the universe. For the believer, hopefully you know that God is the king on the throne. He is the center of the universe. We are to glorify him. But for the world, it's self-centered. It's about gratification. If I'm not happy, ain't nobody happy. And we protest. Woo-hoo! Our generation's all about let's protest if it's not the way I want. And gratification becomes the end of the day. For the God-centered people, it's about God glorification. So yes, your human sexuality should glorify God. Everything you do, in everything you do, the Bible says, bring glory to God. But here's the key. You must be born again. Say it with me. You must be be born again. I want you to go back in your mind to that story of Nicodemus. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Nicodemus had questions. He had thoughts, and Jesus just totally blew him off. Not him, but all his questions and thoughts. Uh, Nicodemus comes sputtering stuff, and what did Jesus say first to him? Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know what Jesus was saying? Without having to go into it, Jesus is like, hey, Nicodemus, we can do a lot of talking right now, but if you come from a different worldview than my worldview, we're never going to get anywhere. If you're going to live in the self-gratification world and not the God-glorification world, you're never going to get this stuff. So Jesus just started with a worldview, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he could talk to Nicodemus. From that point of view, do you believe in God? Is he your Savior and Lord? You must be born again. I say that because as believers, once again, we're really good at topics and saying, but you need to understand a world without Christ does not believe, not only do they not believe this, they think it's horrific. As horrified as you are, they think we're just as horrible for declaring a standard that they don't believe in. So how do we deal with people in this world? God's truth in sexuality, as I taught you last week, going into this week, you need to be reminded of it. God created sex. He declared it good. Very good, actually. Sex is not just physical. This is not just a physical act. We're not animals. When it comes to humankind, sex becomes emotional, social, spiritual. All these things are very true about our sexuality. Sex is broken and twisted because of sin. And what sin is broken, the cross is able to repair. Can I say it again? No one has, I've gone too far. No one in this room has gone too far that the grace and love of Jesus Christ cannot change them. And we need to believe that. So God's design for sex is two plus two plus one equals sex. Two people of two genders in one marriage. Sex is for the intimacy of a husband and wife within marriage only. Sex within marriage is about Oneness. You need to get that concept today as we go in to talk about these other issues, because anything outside of this is not about oneness. It's about gratification. It's about satisfaction, but not oneness. Only a a male and a female in a marriage can experience this type of intimacy of oneness that God talks about. So the tactic of the enemy in this world is confuse your identity. You are not your sexual cravings. I'm just going to make that statement bold. No matter where you're at today in your cravings, that's not who you are. Matter Matter of fact, as believers, that's one of the statements you should be telling yourself over and over again every day. When you start falling in temptation out of sight of God's bounds, you should say, that's not who I am. I've been made new. I am born again. I'm a new creation. I'm new in Christ. That's not who I am. You are not your cravings. Remember last week, the Twinkies? I'm not a Twinkiest. Don't don't come up to me and say, hi, Pastor Don, you're such a good Twinkiest. Don't call me a Twinkiest. I know, I'm pudgy, it shows. But I am not my cravings. That is not who I am. So the world should not be also defining themselves by their cravings. And do what makes you happy. That's what this world shouts. You hear it all the time. Do what makes you happy. Let me tell you, If you do your whole life that way by doing what makes you happy, watch out. You're in for a world of hurt and dissatisfaction. Isn't that crazy how the pursuit of pleasure and gratification always leads us to emptiness and loneliness? It's a toilet bowl downward. Don't enter it. How do you get true joy? Knowing Christ in your life. Knowing your destination is fulfilled, and you you are a person of promise. These are things that can bring you true joy. Wrong temptations are not to be celebrated, but to be crucified. So today, two topics, got to go fast. Sex and gender, what's the difference? The biggest thing that has changed in the last two decades is that these two things are not synonymous anymore. Your sex that you were born with does not necessarily mean the gender you describe yourself with. Have you noticed that yet? If you haven't, you've been sleeping under a rock. If you haven't noticed the pronouns after everybody's names of how they want to be talked about, maybe you don't know what that's about. Currently, right now, as I speak, I'm probably outdated, but there are 72 different known gender types. That are out there. Uh, Not real, but in the world. Uh, If you fill out applications now, you might go through pages to try to define your gender type. Um, And you might be confused. As a believer, you might go in there and say, what? I laugh at this only because it's not medically even true or possible. I was in a doctor's office the other day, and the doctor was talking to me. It was about sleep. I got a sleep study coming up. My wife says I snore a lot, and so uh, I got, you know, maybe a sleep apnea thing, so maybe a little sleep machine. So I'm sitting there talking to the doctor, and and he comes in, and I'm like, I know. I'm fat. I got to lose weight. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, it's not just about weight. He says, there are things that you cannot control that are facts. Your gender. I'm like, what? Here's a doctor just looked at me and said, You can't control the fact that you're a male. You're prone more to sleep apnea. I'm like, You can't say that. You're a doctor. You're supposed to tell me I'm one of 72 different types of genders. And he just looked at me and he's like, Well, oh well. <laughs> Our world is confused about this. I don't make, make to make light of it. In medical news today, medical news today, gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender identity is. Some of you might agree to that. Some of you might say, well, we need to wake up to that. Sex and gender are not the same thing. Well, what does God have to say about this? Let me give you a definition. Gender dysphoria is a psychological condition that causes a person to think and feel they are of the opposite sex. Not the sex they were born with. Some people think they are girls in boys' bodies, or they think they're boys in girls' bodies, or any number of 72 other options according to them. A large portion experienced this struggle due to societal stereotypes. Now I want you to listen to me. Listen to your pastor today. I do believe in 10 or 20 years, we'll look back at this time of history and ask ourselves, what were we thinking? I want you as Christians to be careful how far we take the societal stereotypes and cultural expectations on gender. Girls like pink, boys like blue, all boys hunt and drive big trucks, and all girls cook and like to sew. These these are stereotypes, and let me tell you, those stereotypes have been around for a long, long time. Men in this room, Men, adult men, how many of you remember your dad saying, don't cry, be a man? Anybody remember that kind of a statement? We have cultural stereotypes that we've been putting on young kids' children for decades. And can I just tell you, back off. Back off. What happened is our world changed. And we kept doing the old stereotypes. And we're raising generations of children that are confused dads don't tell your boys not to cry they come to church their pastor cries every week (laughs) don't tell them that I was speaking at a large conference once and I was telling a story and it, it touched me and I started to cry while I was speak and there was a girl in the third row she started laughing hysterically somebody came and told me later said their culture never sees a man cry and when you cried, she didn't know what to do. She couldn't, she couldn't understand that. These are just cultural stereotypes we put on people. Parents, if, if, your, if your daughter likes contact sports, that doesn't mean she's a boy. It doesn't mean that she needs to explore boyness. Let her be a girl that loves sports. That's okay. Okay. If she doesn't like lace and pink, it's okay. By the way, can I just tell you how culture changes? 100 years ago, pink was a masculine color. Those of you men wearing pink today, you right? are <laughs> It switched. It was such a bright, vibrant color that 100 years ago, if you looked at the magazines that they were promoting, the fact that pink was for men, blues were soft and gentle for women. What I'm trying to say is these things change over time. They're not biblical mandates. Men don't take biblical things and make them mandates when it comes to preferences. Boys are boys and girls are girls, and they're going to grow up in this generation, and if they have any sort of confusion when they're young because we're throwing stereotypes at them, then they'll start to think, well, I'm I'm being told that maybe I'm not a boy, In this culture, it's so dangerous, the confusion, and it's real confusion. Don't look at a child and say, what's wrong with you that you don't know if you're a boy or a girl? We did that. We did that as a culture and a nation. I want to take you back to the Bible. God does a beautiful thing by telling us stories about Jacob and Esau. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? Do you remember Esau was a man's man, right? Stereotypical. Hunting, fishing, wild game. Where was Jacob? He was back at home with mom in the kitchen. He liked to cook. You know what I love about that story? Nowhere does God say Jacob was gay. Nowhere does God say that. God doesn't make any statement against Jacob being at home and enjoying being with mom and cooking. In our culture today, many people look at Jesus who traveled around with 12 dudes and they say he had to be gay. He never got married. We got to stop putting stereotypes. The Bible is full of very anti-stereotypical things. And I want to let all of you know that this is something that we actually can be helpful to this generation in is let them be who they are. Young men, if you like arts and you want to sing and play instruments, that's okay. If you like stage, that's okay. Young ladies, if you like things that are typically associated with boys, that's okay. It doesn't change who you are. But this society has confused that and so it is real confusion. So beyond that... You need to know that if you do the deep study, the deep dive that I've done, you realize that most, I can't give you a percentage today, I'm, I avoid statistics uh, in, in this message because they're so dangerous. The large proportion of what we're dealing with with g- gender dysphoria is in that first category of it's just gender role confusion. And, and by the way, I'm not saying don't celebrate maleness, don't celebrate femaleness, that is fine too. But let's be careful of what it means to our younger kids today, Right? Be be careful. Can I just remind you about David? I mean, David. Yeah, get your head around David. He was a warrior king who killed over ten thousand men in battle, and he played a uh-huh, guitar, and he wrote poetry. Men, again, don't get all over yourselves. My man, my, boy, my 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 boy is going to be a man. My boy going to drive a big truck, big tires, and Harlem Davidson. Yeah. You know, get over it. He might do that and write poetry. It's okay. Seriously, I'm serious about this. That is the largest portion. If we would just deal with that, much of this would be better. Beyond that, there is another portion. There's a group of people that actually struggle identifying with their sex at birth, and they experience real and very serious ramifications The suicide rate among teens that are experiencing gender dysphoria is is way higher. And it is a real feeling and emotion that they're experiencing. You can't go to them and say, stop doing that. Stop acting that way or stop thinking that. It goes way beyond that. There is a portion of our society that truly and honestly believes They are not the gender they were assigned at birth. What do we do with that? Let me me read for you some science. In humans, as in most animals or plants, an organism's biological sex corresponds to the one of two distinct types of reproductive anatomy. In humans, reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth. More than 99.98% of the time no third type of sex cell exists in humans and therefore there is no sex spectrum or additional sexes beyond male and female sex is binary binary means only two this was written in the wall street journal by colin wright who is an evolutionary biologist at penn state not a believer and Emma Hilton, a developmental biologist at the University of Manchester. There are scientists that are calling out our, our society right now and saying, you're making a grave mistake. This whole thing is hooey and it's not truth. There's only two genders. Only two. Sex is binary. So what's God's truth on gender identity? God created two genders. Let me read it in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. By the way, I love that the Bible is radical in its day and age. It declared that God's likeness is female, too. Female. (laughs) Male and female, the image of God. Those two oneness gives us a full picture of Godhead. It's amazing. There are two sexes. Some of you might struggle with uh, the Old Testament being the standard, so let's go to the New Testament. Gender is not determined by feelings. Jesus repeated, he said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning God, the Creator, made them male and female. Jesus also subscribed to the fact that there are only two genders. And God's design is in Genesis 1.28, And that is, God blessed them and said to them, the man and the woman, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God had one thing in mind at creation for our human sexuality, one male, one female. It was about reproduction and rulership. And four... God prohibits dressing to present yourself as the opposite sex. In Deuteronomy two five: A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. You stick with me on the Old Testament, okay? Because I know what the argument is. I'm going to get to it later on today. I know whenever you bring up the Old Testament, everybody says, that's all law. None of that applies today. Well, there's parts of the Old Testament that says do not murder. Guess what? Murder's still wrong. There are some parts that still declare truth. There are some parts that we don't have to abide by anymore. There are some standards in Leviticus that 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 were for that culture in that time. The trick is knowing the difference. you got to be a biblical scholar and understand how to read Scripture and know the difference between cultural things, things spoken to a specific church, or things that are general rules. But in Deuteronomy 22, five, we start hearing about the heart of God who made male and female. And it's said not to dress to present yourself as the opposite sex. Let's go back to culture. I see a lot of women wearing pants in here. Are you in trouble? Not at all. Take a deep breath. Culture defines those things. I want to remind you, 100 years ago, uh, nobody here was around then, but have you seen pictures of baby boys? 100 years ago, they were all in white dresses. I'm not lying to you. Look it up. Culture changes over time. Dress changes over time. This verse does not say that women can't wear pants or shorts. And it's, it, 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 honestly, to be very honest with you, last week I thought I saw Jim Smith in a dress. I told him that. I saw him on Sunday I'm like, did I see you in a dress the other day? I was driving down Glaspie Road and he works for Noda and there was a, a guy getting out of one of the buses in a kilt. And I'm like, Jim Smith is wearing a dress. I asked him Sunday, he's like, it wasn't me. It would have been cool if it was. Guys wearing a kilt would not be considered a woman. If you went to Samoa today, the men are wearing what you would call a dress and it's culturally fine. Don't get caught up in Culture. We, we need to stop telling boys that they can't wear pink. we got to stop telling girls to only wear frilly dresses. Cultural things are, are cultural things, and they change over time. So what is biblical? The Bible is very clear. Don't dress to present yourself as the opposite sex. Women, if you have short hair today, fine. Fine on you. Good on you. Uh, people have taken this teaching, and then they've gone too far in it. And have said, you know, boys, I grew up in a culture that said boys couldn't have hair past their ears or they'll think you're a girl. Uh, I don't know. My son has hair down to his back of his back and he's a boy. I'm not confused and he's not trying to confuse anybody either. I know, dude looks like a lady. No, not that. Not that. There's a difference between cultural aspects of wearing certain clothing, and biblical mandates of don't dress to present yourself as the opposite sex. What am I getting at? Well, there's a verse in the New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. It says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go back to that little phrase, men who have sex with men. The Bible is translated. There was actually two words there, Greek words, that they came up with this, men who have sex with men. The two words put together were soft and effeminate. Paul actually invented the word, and what he was trying to say was Men who dress like women to have sex with men. That is the actual translation of that verse. Now they broke it down men who have sex with men, and it is a good translation, but it doesn't give you the context of God's heart when it comes to this. Don't dress as the opposite sex to have sex with the opposite sex. Male prostitutes is the thought here, who appear as the other gender. Does that make sense to you at all? In other words, Take a deep breath. And women, you can have short hair, you can wear pants. Everything's cool. Those things are cultural and they change. But God does not change. I hope you understand that. And so it's about intent and it's about uh, the desire of a person's heart There, when it comes to that. That's God's view on sexuality. Let me give you a verse and it's going to be in a different translation. Hang on, you'll find it at the end. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us lonelier than before. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which... Sexual sins are different from all other sins. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with one another. Or, Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. What is this saying? God made two genders. And, and today, we're actually telling children that they need to figure out if they're a boy or a girl based on how they feel. Anybody remember being 10? Anybody remember that? I can't imagine growing up in a culture that at 10-year-old, they looked at me and said, figure this out. I remember being at a football practice with Josh when he was a young boy. And I remember the coach was an absolute jerk at the time. And I remember him yelling and screaming. There's a 10-year-old boys, right? I remember him yelling and screaming, you guys can't hit hard. You guys are hitting like a bunch of girls. You're acting like a bunch of girls. He said, some of you all want to be Cheerleaders. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, ten-year-olds don't understand this. A lot of them are like, maybe I do. If it's better than you yelling at me, I'll go be a cheerleader. I mean, sarcasm doesn't work with 10-year-old boys. And we're actually putting this on ten-year-old children today. So far that our culture is starting to make laws in certain states that children as young as 10 years old might tell a school counselor they think they're another gender, and without parent approval, they start the process of transitioning. Without parent approval. Without informing the parent. And we are heading this direction unless somebody like the scientists who are speaking out and saying, what's wrong with us? We're heading in a direction where parents will be charged with child abuse For not letting their child transition at the age of 13. Surgically changing themselves from one sex to another sex. I cannot believe we're doing this. And I cannot believe that our children are the ones that are paying the price for this. The suicide rate is off the chart for these children, the confusion is off the chart for these children. Do not be angry when you run into somebody who's struggling with gender dysphoria. We're not helping church when we just show them and we're disgusted. You know what? That's a real person who has real struggles. And it's because of what we did as a country, as a world. That Wall Street Journal thing that I told you earlier, I want to read more of what they said. These two evolutionary biologists who are not believers at all. They went on to say the large majority of gender dysphoric youths eventually outgrow their feelings of dysphoric, dysphoria during puberty. Affirmation therapies that insist a child's cross-sex identity should never be questioned and puberty-blocking drugs... Advertise as a way for children to buy time to sort out their identities may only solidify feelings of dysphoria, setting them on a pathway to more invasive medical interventions and permanent infertility. This pathologizing of sex atypical behavior is extremely worrying and regressive. There are scientists who are saying, what are we doing? So I tell you as a church, it's very easy to stand here to say how we feel on this topic, But what about the people? These are real children. These are real adults that are struggling with this issue. And could you imagine? Every day not knowing if you're a male or a female and just trying to figure that out on your own. So to the person with gender dysphoria, because I will say, whether you know it or not, there's probably people in this room that are struggling in this area. And as parents, I want you to hear me say this. To the person with gender dysphoria... God loves you. You're not an abomination. You're a product of a broken and fallen world of sin. And and your struggling is real and it's confusing. And can I say, this church loves you. You're welcome here. You belong here. The church needs to stop shaming people and start loving people because they're welcome here. And I'm going to tell you, this pastor loves you. And I'll be with you and for you. A couple weeks ago a, a young man entered my office who was openly gay and flamboyantly dressed. And you know what I did? I talked to him. And I never mentioned his hair or his nails. I looked him in the eye and I talked to him. Because he's a mago deo. He's made in the image of God. And we can love and accept you as a person without affirming your decisions. This is the thing the world has done that has been so abusive and how they've been able to hate the church so much. They've declared that if we don't agree with you, we hate you, and that's wrong. So I'm making a different declaration today. This pastor loves you, this church loves you, and God loves you, but we don't have to agree with you. We can also affirm your value as a person and still be committed to a biblical standard of truth. I can stand here today and say I've read God's word front to back, and it's very clear he made two genders. Your confusion is based mostly on what we've done with you as a society, and you've been born into a broken and fallen world. Jesus offers a wholeness that will bring unity between biological sex and your sense of self. Wholeness will not come by changing your physical body, but by dealing with your heart and mind to make you whole. I am not standing on this stage and say, pray the gay away. I'm not standing on this stage and say, we're just going to pray your feelings and opinions go away. No, there's going to be some hard work that needs to be done here. But you, you can approach it knowing that you're loved and accepted, and that God loves you and has not rejected you. homosexuality. I know you're thinking, it's time to leave. You can't. I go on vacation next week. We have to end the series, so you just sit and be quiet. <laughs> Romantic attraction, sexual attraction, or sexual behavior between members of the same sex or gender. God's truth on homosexuality. The Bible clearly states homosexuality. It goes against God's design. In Leviticus 18, 22, and 2013, I know it's Leviticus. But again, I want to point out, don't throw away the whole Old Testament. Learn how to read it and understand what's cultural and what's not. Because there are things that are still valid in Leviticus, like stealing, lying, cheating, slandering, witchcraft, pimping your daughter out for sex. Those are all still wrong, and they're in Leviticus. All right? And so don't throw the Bible out to understand how to read it and study it. And so in Leviticus, I won't read those passages, but it states very clearly that homosexuality goes against God. I want to read Romans. We'll go to to the Romans passage. Romans 1, 26, 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way that men also abandoned natural relations with him and were inflamed in lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The Old Testament and New Testament agree homosexuality goes against God's design. First Timothy 1, 9 and 10. We also know that the law is made for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker and rebels, the godly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for the practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Whenever we find lists, we keep. And one of them, don't forget those who fornicate. (laughs) That's straight sex (laughs) is listed there right before homosexuality. So, all y'all, all all y'all sitting here, right? You remember all us all. This list is for all us all, but the Bible clearly states that homosexuality goes against God's design. Same sex behavior is sin. Same-sex attraction is not. Let me, let me say that again, because you need to understand this. Again, the church has been so good at slamming their foot down on a topic. Yes, homosexuality, having sex with the same sex, goes against God's commands. But we are in a broken and fallen world that people are born with a sin nature, and maybe you don't experience it, but they experience same-sex attraction, and it's very real to them it's as real to them as the person who thinks they're a boy when they were born with a girl anatomy it's very real and if you can't understand that today it's hard for you to have any sympathy or empathy about a person it's good to have a strong feeling on a topic but what do you do with a person well i want you to know today if you're struggling with same-sex attraction you're not alone other people have struggled with this and That attraction is not sin. James 1, 14 and 15 very clearly give us a a, a, a discussion on this. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Did you see the desire was before sinful action? So if you're having same-sex attraction today, I want to talk to you a little bit and let you also know that you are loved, and that you're not an abomination. But God would say don't have sex with the same sex. You might have desires for that, but don't fulfill them. Arguments to support same-sex relationships, I want to quickly go through these because you need to know that there are... Uh, biblicists that actually have made statements using the Bible to promote homosexuality. I just want to give you a couple of them today before we're done. Number one, the type of homosexuality in biblical times was oppressive and exploitive, not consensual and a monogamous. The argument here goes that all the Bible, when it talks about homosexuality, is talking about a man taking a little boy and abusing him physically. And that's wrong. Yes, that is wrong. But the statement that there was no such thing as monogamous and consensual homosexual relationships in biblical times is just not true. I've got this book at the end of my bed. It's it's Josephus. He was a historian at the time. Josephus writes about all sorts of homosexual relationships that were consensual and monogamous at the time. Especially female uh, homosexual relations were very monogamous and consensual at the time. When the Bible talks about homosexuality and talks about how both of them are condemned, you don't condemn somebody who was abused by somebody. So the Bible is not talking about gay relationships, homosexual relationships where the people love each other and are committed to one another. Those are okay. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says sex, same sex, sex is wrong. Female, same-sex relationships were most often consensual, yet biblically considered wrong. Romans 1.26 says that. Biblical language of mutual acts between consenting adults with mutual guilt. That's what I was getting at in Romans to 27 It was condemning the sexual act between the same gender because they were both consensual in it. So yes, the Bible is talking about Homosexual sex between two monogamous and consensual adults. So that argument is not valid. Number two, Romans 1, 24 through 27 prohibits excessive lust, not mutual same-sex love. This argument goes that it's lust that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with two uh same-sex loving each other as long as lust isn't involved. Well, let me just tell you, lust equals sexual passion. When two people have sex, there's a lot of hunk-hunk-burning of of love going on there. Amen. That's just how it works. <laughs> Let me just tell you, uh, Paul is condemning the lustful act because they are of the same sex. Read Romans 1, 24-27. It's not that the lust was wrong. The actual act with it was wrong. Third argument, Romans 1 refers to idolatrous sex, not consensual sex, same-sex relationships. You're going to get a theme here. The people that are using Scripture to promote homosexuality are trying to make cases, and they keep going back to there was no homosexual love like there is today. There was no gender dysphoria like there was today. There was no confusing of the genders. And so therefore the Bible doesn't speak to it. The Bible is very clear. It talks about idolatrous sex. Uh, There were temples where people could go and have sex with prostitutes as a religious act. That, That was happening in Rome very clearly. But All sin is idolatry, turning from our Creator and serving creation. Does Paul only condemn idolatrous forms of murder, lying, pride, and cheating? No, Uh, it's not just idolatrous forms of sin are sin. The sin is sin. And when it's involved with idolatry, it's also sin. All murder is wrong. All lying is wrong. All pride is wrong. All cheating is wrong. And so this, this argument also does not hold water. For the biblical writers didn't know about sexual orientation. The Bible never says that one's desire for certain act or behavior automatically justifies the act. The Bible is very clear about your feelings and opinions being the rule of the day. Don't do it. It's got to be God's standard. The Bible frequently says that our desires and feelings are just as messed up as our intellect, wills, and behavior. Born with it, argument is not a good biblical argument. We are born into a fallen world. We possess fallen emotions, bodies, desires that are all subject to sin. So, what am I saying today? On the topic of homosexuality, if the Bible's clear, it goes against God's plan, it is sin. For the people that are experiencing same sex attraction, God loves you, He delights in you, and He cherishes you. The church has been very good at at saying God hates you because you're homosexual. Let me just tell you, that's wrong. I know Christian that have been in the Bible for years. You're like, what about 1 Corinthians 6? It says expel, expel the, the person from the church. Have nothing to do with them. You know what that's about? Yeah, there was sexual sin involved, but you know what it is? It's because the person was absolutely rebellious and militant in his disobedience. The church leadership had said, knock it off. He refused to, he was promoting it. Then the words come, expel the brother. Let me tell you, let me tell you, there's been a lot of people I just would rather kick out of the church and it's not because of homosexuality, it's because their mouth, it's because of negativity, it's because their slander, it's because their hatefulness toward leadership. That stuff is unbiblical. You can walk out of here all happy as you want about your feelings about the topic of homosexuality, but I'm here to tell you God loves each and every one of you today. He delights in you, and he cherishes you. You are not an abomination. All sin needs forgiveness. God considers all sexual immorality to be sin. This includes lust, pornography, sex outside of marriage, same-sex intercourse, which means we're all in the same boat today. If you leave today and say, those people, we're those people. We're all those people. Sinful, broken people that look at a computer screen for gratification is just as wrong as same-sex sex. We have to stop. It, it always feels good when we can point at somebody that we don't understand and we don't have those same feelings. It's always easy to point at them and say, those are messed up people. It's really hard to look in the mirror and say, man, am I messed up. You're not alone. For the person with same-sex attraction, you're not alone. And by the way, banish the thought of suicide. This is what breaks my heart more than anything. Anything. That young people with gender dysphoria, young people with same-sex attraction come to the church and they feel shamed. They feel belittled. They feel like nobody there can accept them or love them. We need to turn the tide of that. They're going through something they need help with and the church ought to be there with them. Find someone to talk to. You can come to my office and if you're a boy and you've got green hair, and long nails, I'm going to talk to you because you're a human, and I love you. Years ago, as a youth pastor, I had a Bible club at the local high school. Every Thursday, I'd go at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would meet with 40 kids. Way back then, in the 90s, there was a very openly gay young man. I'll call him Tom. I don't know why Tom came. At first, he might have come maybe to, to check us out and you know, maybe cause trouble. I don't know. Uh, but he came with some friends. You know what Tom kept coming for for the years he was in high school Tom kept coming. And you know what I did? I taught the Bible and I talked to the students. I never once treated him differently than anybody else. One of their best friends died in a car accident right in front of the school and it was a tragic day. At the funeral that I did for that child, my group came. There's 40 of them. They all come up at their funeral and they said, "We need to talk about this this week." And we got to school on Thursday, and they gathered, and I said, you guys said you wanted to talk. What do, you, what do you want to talk about? And Tom was the first one who looked at me, and he said, Pastor Don, my dad tells me I'm going to hell because I'm homosexual. What do you think of me? My head just spun. What do I say? What do I do? You know, there's 39 other kids looking at me, and one kid that really wants to know. And I started to answer the question by saying, well, the Bible, you know, we can talk about what the Bible has to say. And, and all of a sudden, it just like God said, stop it. Don't do that. Listen, listen, listen. He asked you, what do you think of him? And I stopped and I said, Tommy, I'm sorry. I'm not answering your question. Your question was, what do I think of you? I love you. And I've always treated you the same as everybody else. If you want to talk about homosexuality, me and you can get together sometime and go through the scripture and talk about that. But if you just simply want to know what I think of you, I love you. And by the time I was done saying that, there was 40 kids crying because they'd never heard a pastor express love for an openly gay teenager. We are losing. Let me step back. We have lost the cultural war. Our culture has moved on based on feelings and opinions, and that's the direction they're heading. We have something so much sturdier, and that is God's truth. We can choose to weaponize it to take people out, or we can choose to love people until they come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And let me tell you, you must be born again. If anything in this book is going to apply to your life and be lived out, you got to be born again. Lost people are not going to live biblically. And as biblicists, our goal is not to make lost people live biblically. Our goal is to love people to Jesus, to share the gospel with them, so that God can do a work in their lives. Sexual integrity, I'm ending today. Almost done. Sexual integrity, not sexual purity, because that's a, a lost misunderstanding. We're not to be sexually pure until we're married. We're supposed to be pure our whole lives, even in marriage. So sexual integrity is a better way to talk about our sex. Holistic view of our sex, sex is more than just physical. Sex is emotional, social, and spiritual. It requires turning to the Lord with all our hearts and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey. It's about discovering God's love and allowing it to make me more committed to Jesus than self-willed behavior ever could. Today, I'm not telling you if you're struggling with gender dysphoria or you're struggling with same-sex attraction, I'm not telling you try hard, try hard, try hard. No, I'm telling you, know Jesus. Love Jesus. Let Him work in your life. That's better than just trying hard. He'll change you. And if it doesn't change... I love to hear stories of when people are alcoholics or they smoke cigarettes and then they get saved and God removes that. Anybody ever have that experience? Is there anybody here that have had that experience that just removed it? I love hearing those stories where God removes the addiction. That didn't happen for me. I stopped smoking 30 years ago. Cigarettes. I was a stupid teen. I chain smoked. I mean, I lit one cigarette. I would smoke one pack in like five minutes because I was hiding, right? And we had, we'd go fishing to smoke. And so when we're fishing, we're hiding, I'm smoking. Man, I smoked a lot real quick. (laughs) And I remember when I decided that was not great, not good for my body. I'm just going to give that up. The temptation never went away. And I still tell people, if I walk out of a restaurant and somebody lights up out there, I'm a pastor and 53 years old. When I smell a Newport light, I go, ooh. My body says, you like that. Remember? Remember. I wish, I wish for me a temptation had just absolutely gone away. But that doesn't change God's standards for life, for my living. I'm saying that because some people. When I say come to Jesus, I'm not saying he's just gonna turn you from you're all of a sudden those same-sex attractions are just going to go away. What do you do? You obey God's word. You mean to tell me, Pastor Don, there could be a Christian who has same-sex attractions? Yes. One of them was a deacon at my former church. He had determined he was going to obey God's word. Even though he had same-sex attraction. He decided not to live that out. He fought the fight. I wish it would have went away. I wish I could have prayed the gay away. But it was a reality for him. And he still continued to struggle. But he was strong and he he refused to act on it. You know what? He was a deacon at our church. So if you're a single today, I talked about earlier, how do you live out your, well, Abstain from sexuality. Abstain from having sex. It's made for marriage. It's made for one woman, one man, one marriage. So if you're same-sex attraction today, I'm saying abstain from that. Behavior is sin. God calls it a sin. But you're loved here. And you're in the same boat that all of us are in. Sin is sin. Temptation is temptation. And if it's wrong behavior that it's leading you to, then don't do it. Don't feed it. makes it worse lastly today conclusion i'm loved by the god who wants to bless and protect me my sexuality was created by god and he alone sets the standard i choose to obey god and live a life of sexual integrity as a response to god's love i will say yes oh for too long we've just been saying just say no oh beautiful what was it ronald reagan's wife god bless her heart just say no just say no just didn't work I will say yes to living a faithful, flourishing life as a sexual being according to God's design. What am I saying today? I'm not saying just say no. I'm saying say yes to God's plan. Say yes to a life that goes beyond just your attractions and cravings. There are some things that I encourage you to look at. Um, All the information today that I shared with you about uh, gender dysphoria was out of the book called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle and... I didn't realize this, but the other book that I'm promoting about homosexuality is Living in a Gray World, also by Preston Sprinkle. I didn't realize that I'd read two books, found out it was the same author. He's doing a wonderful job on these two topics. I could not go as deep as I wish I could have gone today. I've already gone 15 minutes over. I, aren't you thankful I didn't go any deeper? Uh, but I will refer you to these two books. I've given you four resources today. I encourage you as Christians, Be informed. Be informed. And parents, can I just inform you? Be in charge. Parent your children. Talk to them about their sexuality from the time they are young. Monitor their internet use. That is how the world is informing them of their, who they are, who they think they are, who the world thinks that they could be. There is no such thing as privacy when it comes to parenting and teenagers and the internet. I'm just going to say it out loud. Parents, don't fall for that line. Be in charge. I'm not saying be abusive, but be a parent, not a best friend. Parent your children. Talk to your children. Take them out on long drives so you don't have to look each other in the eyes, and you can drive and just talk about hard topics. Ask them questions reaffirm that they're loved by God, even if they're having questions about their identity. Can I just tell you as I close today in prayer how big this issue is? The children going up in this day and age are told that the worst thing you could be is straight. Our kids with their other kids are in social atmospheres where the worst thing they could be is straight. They have to figure out something. A youth pastor friend of mine was talking to a kid and the kid came in and she told him, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a lesbian. And he said, oh, well, let's talk about that. How long have you liked other girls sexually? And she's like, what? No, I don't do that. And he's like, well, you just told me you were sexually. she goes, well, I just, I might be. You need to understand today that the kids are totally different than they were in the 80s and the 70s. And the worst thing you could possibly be is straight, Because that means you hate. Our culture has equated straight with hate. And so kids are trying to pick something amorphous, bisexual, asexual. Name 72 different types of genders because they got to be something rather than straight. (laughs) And to be honest with you, that's why we need to wake up as a church. Understand that what I said today was very important, whether you understood it or not, to stand in front of an audience and to tell them that God loves them they're loved here, and their pastor loves them, is powerful. Join me in loving people to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father God, help us. Help us as believers to stand on truth, but to apply the salve of grace. God, help us to learn we don't have to water down your standards. We can stand on those and believe those are true, but we can accept people and love them And God, we trust that you would work in hearts. God, help people. We pray for your help for those struggling with gender dysphoria. We pray with those that have same-sex attractions that are very real. As much as Twinkies are real to me, that might be real for somebody else. And so, God, we pray for your help, a divine assistance with love, faith, and hope. But the greatest of these is love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Go in peace.